Jay Sigurd here, Starting Point Podcast. We're talking science, faith, and a whole lot more. Buckle up, because it's go time. Jay Sigurd here. Thanks for joining me on today's broadcast. We are headed into part eight of Creation in Six Days. Been a fascinating journey. We've covered a lot. We've got a fair amount left. We're still talking about some scripture, but we got to get into the science too. I know many of you have been waiting for that. But before we go any further, just a reminder to please subscribe to our podcast, tell your friends, and if you can leave a five star review, that would be wonderful. And reminder, our website, thestartingpointproject.com, has lots of free resources including a bunch of streaming videos. One of them is Creation in Six Days. It's a four-part series. You'll see a lot of the visuals going along with many things that we're covering here in this mini-series. It's not so many anymore. (laughs) Um, What will we be covering today? Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about what is a day in the Genesis creation account and... um, the creation account narrative in general. What does it convey? Does it convey the concept of millions and billions of years or a time frame that is much shorter? By way of review, I talked about how incredibly important context is when we're looking at Scripture in particular. What is the context of the passage we're looking at? I also mentioned the quote, gotcha, that people bring up when they try to tell you a day is not a regular day in Genesis because a day with the Lord is a thousand years. I went through all that, and when people say that, a day with the Lord is a thousand years, I always ask them, um, do you know where that's found? I said that the Bible doesn't actually say that directly. It's close, something close, but do you know what it actually says? No. Do you know where that passage is found? No. Do you know who wrote it? No. Do you know the context of the passage? No. Well, then tell me, how do you know a passage that you are misquoting and you don't know where it's found, you don't know who wrote it, and you don't know the context? Somehow that shows that the days in Genesis were not normal days like we experience today. Again, just get some thinking because they typically are using that phrase because they heard it from someone else and it seemed to solve everything. You don't even need to talk about anything. The days could be whatever, because a day is a thousand years. Well, I mentioned where the passage actually comes from. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 is the larger context. And it says that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. This is where we jump into uh, some newer stuff not just repeating everything, but um, pulling out a bunch of things from the larger passage from last time. It does say that a day is as a thousand years, not is. Uh, Even if it said is a thousand years, that doesn't really help because then God created things in 6,000 years. It says 6,000 days. If a day is a year, or a day is a thousand years, then you have 6,000 years total. That That doesn't help if you want to say the Earth is 4.6 billion years old or the universe is 13.8 billion years old. And again, it doesn't say a day is a thousand years. It says as. Um, It also says a thousand years is as a day. And I mentioned last time, you know, that would kind of 
cancel the other one out if you're saying a day is a long period of time because it's a thousand years well we could say a thousand years isn't long it's just a day because that's what the remainder of the verse says right well what's actually happening is what the skeptics who are being referred to by peter in that context the skeptics of the end times what they want to have happen right now today the return of christ which they've been doubting they're doubting the return of christ and what they're demanding to have happen right now god could take a thousand years to do and what they would think would take a long time, the creation of the universe and the earth, God can do in a day. That's what's actually happening in that passage. It is not supporting the days in Genesis being millions or billions of years each. Um, let's look at a few additional details of this passage again. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, starting in verse 9. It's talking about a contrast between slow and fast. This is the context in which Peter is writing. After he said everything prior to that, verses 1 through 8, then Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. What's that saying? God's not slow in, in dragging things out, as you might think is taking a while for Christ to return. He's not just being slow, dragging it out for no reason. He goes on to say, but he is patient toward you. Patient, giving you time to repent. It says, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then in verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The return of Christ is going to come quickly. When it happens, it's going to make your head spin in a sense. It's going to happen so fast like a thief in the night, just boom, out of nowhere, it is there. And it says, then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are in it are done. Um, they will be exposed, all the works that have been done by the judgment of Christ's return. There's a lot going on there. I wish I could take some time to talk about other prophetic issues, but we're talking about creation in six days. But the main thing is that this passage is not trying to teach us that a day really isn't a day. It's really thousands of years. It's teaching us the opposite. What you want to have happen right now in your time frame, God can take a long time to do. And what you would think would take a long time to do, God can do very quickly. He can do it in a day. But despite all of that in the actual context, people still try to take that passage, which they generally don't even know where it is. Someone else just told them. But they try to take this passage in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, and they use it to define a Hebrew word way back in Genesis 1 that was written more than 1,500 years earlier. You can't do that. It's context, context, context. You always have to keep the context of the passage in mind. Now, here's an interesting quote from someone that we could call a hostile witness. Hostile witnesses are interesting because it's when you have someone on the witness stand who's against your case, but they say something that turns out to be supportive of your view. That's pretty powerful because this person does not have a reason to support your agenda at all. So if it's come from them, it's kind of extra special, even more powerful than normal. They don't have this bias to, they're just going to say whatever they can to support you. This person doesn't believe in what you believe, but they end up saying something that helps your case. They can be considered a hostile witness. Well, James 
Bar. He was a Hebrew scholar from Oxford University. He's a hostile witness in the sense that he doesn't believe in the Genesis creation account. He doesn't believe that God created things that way. It's not his belief. However, the guy knew Hebrew. He knew the Hebrew language. He was an expert. So this quote I'm going to give you is his commentary on what the text says. He doesn't believe the text is ultimately true, but he's going to tell us what it actually is claiming that is true. Basically saying, when you look at the words that are there, this is what it means. He doesn't believe that meaning is true, but that is the meaning that the author intended to convey according to the Hebrew words that are there. So here is his quote, again starting with a quote and unquote. Quote, Probably so far as I know, there is no professor of Hebrew or Old Testament at any world-class university who does not believe that the writers of Genesis 1-11 through intended to convey to their readers the ideas that creation took place in a series of six days, which were the same as the days of 24 hours we now experience. The figures contained in the Genesis genealogies provide by simple addition a chronology from the beginning of the world up to the latter stages in the biblical story. Noah's flood was understood to be worldwide and extinguish all human life and animal life except for those in the ark, unquote. That's what this Hebrew scholar is telling us. He's looking at the Hebrew text and he says, this is the intended meaning of this text. This is what the words say. Now again, he doesn't believe in the biblical creation account, but that's what the text says. Very interesting, again, coming from a Hebrew expert who's not supportive of the six-day creation account, but he's admitting that's what the text says. He'd probably like that because then he could bash the Bible even more, thinking in his mind, we know the six-day creation account can't be right. It's been disproven by science. So he probably liked the fact that the Bible claimed it was actually six literal days because then he could say, well, the Bible's obviously wrong. So he's, he's just telling us what the text actually says. Here's another quote, kind of an interesting admission from Dr. Paddle Pun. He was professor of biology emeritus Wheaton College in um, the Chicago area, greater Chicago area of Illinois. This is what he said, quote, It is apparent that the most straightforward understanding of Genesis without regard to the hermeneutical considerations suggested by science is that God created the heavens and the earth in six solar days, that man was created on the sixth day, and that death and chaos entered the world after the fall of Adam and Eve, and that all fossils were the result of the catastrophic deluge that spared only Noah's family and the animals therewith, unquote. So again, this is Dr. Paddle Pun, professor of biology emeritus at Wheaton College, Wheaton University now. Um, so interesting quote, what is he saying? He is saying that it is apparent that the most straightforward understanding of Genesis, the text that is actually there, if you rule out 
considerations suggested by science, if you're not considering what we think we know from science, if you're just looking at the text, he says, God created everything in six solar days, and man was created on the sixth day, and death came into the world after the fall of Adam and Eve, and the fossils were the result of the flood. And it don't, the flood only spared Noah and his families and the, and the animal uh, animals that were on the ark. Oh, a couple of things here. One is, he says that the straightforward you know belief is that all fossils were the result of the catastrophic you know, flood of Noah of Genesis six through eight. Um, too close to being true. Most of the fossils, yeah, I think were formed in the flood. But we know some fossils have formed by local catastrophic events that occurred after the flood. They could bury things and they could create a fossil. So most of the fossils, yeah, were created during the flood, but not all of them. So I, I would um, quibble with that small part of the quote there. But it's interesting that he's saying if you don't take into consideration, read into the text what we think we know that is suggested by science, if you just look at the text, it's creation in six solar days, not long ago. Obviously what he's saying, but you need to take into account what we know from science to realize even though it says that, it can't mean that we know better now. Well, again, what did we do for most of history when we didn't have science? That's a really good question. I brought that up before. If you just look at the text, even according to William Barr or Pat O'Pun, they're saying the text screams six solar days not long ago. Unless you want to take into account what secular scientists are telling us today, most of which of these secular scientists uh, don't believe in the Bible. Many of them don't even believe in God. We're supposed to take their word for everything they're finding and then use that to tell God what he actually meant when he inspired the writers of Scripture. Uh, one other quote here. This is from Martin Luther. Everyone's heard of Martin Luther. Um, I, I like this quote. I think it's very powerful. Uh, there may even be a hint of sarcasm in there. Possibly, I don't know. But uh, I'll read it to you and then discuss it briefly. Martin Luther stated, quote, When Moses writes that God created the heaven and the earth and whatever is in them in six days, then let this period continue to have been six days. And do not venture to devise any comment according to which six days were something else. But if you cannot understand how this could have been done in six days, then grant the Holy Spirit the honor of being more learned than you are. For you are to deal with Scripture in such a way that you bear in mind that God himself says what is written. But since God is speaking, it is not fitting for you to wantonly turn his word in the direction you wish it to go, unquote. So Martin Luther, certainly don't agree with everything that he's ever written or said, but you could say that just about anyone, and you wouldn't, if you were alive today, wouldn't agree with everything that I believe. But I think this is pretty powerful. He said, if, if you have a hard time imagining how this could have happened in six days, then give God some credit. You know, with the Holy Spirit inspiring these writers, they wrote what they wrote for a reason. God inspired them to write that for a reason. Maybe God knows a little more than we do, <laughs> and we are accountable for what it says. You're not going to stand before God someday and say what your beliefs are, and then God is going to look at you and say, well, what about radiometric dating? What about uranium-238 decaying into lead-206? What about that? There's going to be one thing on the table. What did you do with my word and what I told you? 
He's not going to be impressed with your understanding of carbon-14 or this or that. He's going to say, who did you get that from? What was your interpretation or understanding of that? He says, what did you do with what I told you? That's very, very important what Scripture actually says. And that leads us to this point. We are asking the wrong question. Rather than saying, how in the world could God create everything in just six days? I mean, come on. The proper question would be, why did he take so long? Seriously, he's God. He's all-powerful. Snap your fingers and be done. Do it in a trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second. He could have. He could have done it in a trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second. He could have done it over trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years or anywhere in between. The question is, why did it take six days? If you are that powerful, why drag it out? Why why take six days? Why take six minutes? Just do it and be done. Well, Scripture answers the question for us. We go back to the Ten Commandments, which I mentioned before. This is in Exodus chapter 20, at verses 9 through 11. It says, Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, because... <laughs> For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this is kind of interesting. A little bit of a side note, but actually in direct correlation to what we've been discussing. Where do we get our day today? How, How do we measure a day? We've been talking about that. Well, it's the time it takes the earth to rotate once on its axis. All right, where do we get our month? Well, it's generally the time it takes the moon to orbit once around the earth. Where do we get our year? Well, it's the time it takes the earth to orbit once around the sun. Okay, where do we get our week? Hmm. All of the other time periods, the day, the month, the year, they're all astronomical measurements, but not the week. It's only defined by scripture. Something to think about, especially if you don't think those days were solar days. If those days weren't solar days, then what's a week? What's the Sabbath? Are we supposed to work for six periods of millions and billions and billions of years each and then rest for a period of millions and billions of years? I'm sure we'd all like that rest portion. It doesn't make any sense unless those days are regular days and God says, I took so long, not because I needed the time, I did it to set a pattern for you so that you would work six days and rest the seventh, just like I did during creation. He didn't need the time. He used it to set a pattern for us. But if those days weren't regular days, our week means nothing. The Sabbath means nothing. (laughs) Here's another powerful example of evidence that the biblical narrative depicts six solar days thousands of years ago, not millions and billions of years ago. And it has to do with the timing of the arrival of Adam and Eve. Okay, If you're a Christian or maybe even a religious person, you probably believe that God created Adam and Eve. Maybe you think that God used evolution somehow, which we've talked about that a lot. That doesn't cut it scientifically or biblically, but you certainly believe in Adam and Eve, hopefully. (laughs) So when did they get here and why does it matter? Well, many Christians say we shouldn't even be discussing this issue, meaning the age of the earth. We should just focus on Jesus. Well, focusing on Jesus is great. I don't know 
a Christian in their right mind who wouldn't want to focus on Jesus. However, long before Jesus was Savior, he was Creator. Yeah, see John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. For him, by him, through him, all things were created. Yes, Jesus is our Savior, but he's also our Creator because he's part of the Trinity. (laughs) So if we're going to focus on him, Jesus... We should take him just as seriously as our creator as we do our savior. Okay, with that in mind, let's briefly consider something related to what Jesus said about the creation of Adam and Eve. We're told, forget about the age of the earth. It doesn't even matter. Why are we even discussing it? We're just focusing on Jesus. Okay, let's focus on Jesus and what he said specifically about creation and the creation of Adam and Eve. Now, You'll have to use your imagination a little bit here, picturing this in your mind, a timeline that I'm going to be describing. If you want to, you could get out a piece of paper and sketch this very simply. You know, what I'm talking about, seeing it right in front of you might make a much bigger impact. I realize that most of you won't do that, or maybe you're you're not able to because you're driving, or you're in the middle of performing brain surgery as you're listening to this, which that's probably even more dangerous than texting and driving, but... If you're able to, seriously, just take out a blank piece of paper. We're just going to be putting two timelines on it, from the left side of the paper to the right side of paper, two timelines that we're going to compare. So I'm going to describe these two different timelines. And if you're sketching, leave room for the two on one page. We're going to have one towards the top of the page and the other one uh, a little ways beneath the top one. So for this first timeline... Let's temporarily assume that God used something like the Big Bang to create the universe, which is commonly accepted secular timeline, using the Big Bang and and the universe and everything in it. I mean, after all, God's all-powerful, right? And many people are in this camp. God is all-powerful. They believe the Big Bang is true, and somebody had to do it. It couldn't happen on its own, so God just did the Big Bang. Again, I have mini-series, podcast on the origin of the universe. Go back and listen to that for all the details behind that. That's fascinating. But let's just temporarily assume that that was part of God's process, something like a Big Bang billions of years ago. So go ahead and draw, uh, or you know, physically or in your mind, a straight line across the width of the paper, leaving a little space on each side as a margin. So you got a line going across your paper from left to right. Now, Place something representing some kind of an explosion on the far left end of that line you just drew. That's going to represent the origin of the universe, the Big Bang. So label that as being 15 billion years ago. Now, actually it's 13.8. That's what they tell us. The Big Bang happened 13.8 billion years ago, unless you go with some of the astronomers today who want to double that or need to double it because they're having problems with the what the James Webb telescope is discovering. But let's just, we want to keep this simple. We're going to round things off to make it as simple as possible. Left side of the paper, there's an explosion that was 15 billion years ago. That's the origin of the universe. Then about two-thirds of the way across your line towards the right, draw just a circle. That's going to be the Earth. And label that as 4.5 billion years ago. So explosion on the left side, then you go two-thirds across the line towards the right, a circle, that's the Earth, four and a half billion years ago. And that's where it would be, four and a half billion years would be about two-thirds of the way across your line there. Then 
after do that, after you do that, uh, it's going to be virtually imperceptible, but at the far right end of the line, opposite end of that explosion, you're going to draw two stick people. That's going to be Adam and Eve. And you're going to label that as 200,000 years ago. Now, that sounds like a long time ago, 200,000 years ago. But that's a secular story. They believe that modern man, not like an ape-like creature or apes themselves, but in our modern form, they think we've been around maybe 200,000 years. Well, 200,000 years is basically way at the right end of that line compared to 15 billion years ago for the origin of the universe. So on the left side, explosion 15 billion years ago. On the opposite end, right side, two stick people, that's Adam and Eve. That's 200,000 years ago. So using these rounded off figures, this would place Adam and Eve, the stick people at the right, at 0.0013% away from the end of this creation timeline. Okay, so what? So you're looking at your timeline, left side explosion 15 billion years ago, far right side, two stick people, Adam and Eve, that's 200,000 years ago. That's when Adam and Eve appeared, if God used something like the Big Bang in billions of years. So on one end, creation of the universe, opposite end, 200,000 years ago, Adam and Eve appear. Well, we're told we should focus on Jesus, right? So let's take a look at something Jesus said involving creation and specifically the appearance of these two stick figures, Adam and Eve. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 6. It says, quote, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, unquote. You can also read the same thing in Matthew 19.4. These are corollary passages. That just means passages that are talking about the same thing. Mark 10.6, Matthew 19.4. Jesus, he was talking to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, you may know, were a group of people who were very arrogant about their knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures and keeping all these laws. They were very, very proud of that. Basically, Jesus comes along not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it and to say it's not really about following all these laws. It's about a personal relationship with him, Jesus. They hated him for that. They had their special club going, and they could kick people out and give people special favor by bringing them in. Jesus came along, and he kind of upset the apple cart. They hated him. They were constantly trying to trap Jesus with their questions that no matter how he answers, they're going to get him. We'll ask him this, and if he says this, we got him. If he answers the other way, it doesn't matter. We got him that way too. They hated him. Hated him so much they wanted to put him to death and did. <laughs> um, in this passage, Mark 10, 6, and also Matthew 19, 4, they're talking about marriage and divorce and remarriage. And in Jesus' response, especially when you read it in Matthew 19, 4, it seems like there might be a little sarcasm there. I mean, Jesus did call them vipers to their face. So here, in, in like in Matthew 19, 4, he said, have you not read? Like, I thought you were the Pharisees who knew scriptures so well. Haven't you read that he who created them created the male and female from the beginning of creation? Jesus, who we're supposed to focus on, said that Adam and Eve were created from the very beginning of creation. Well, the timeline we just drew 
pushes Adam and Eve way off to the right at the very end of that timeline at 0.0013% away from the end of creation. Not at the beginning. It's just the opposite. So did Jesus not know what he's talking about? Did he lie? Did he get it wrong? I mean, just you, you got to wonder because it's just the opposite of what Jesus just said. And we're supposed to focus on what Jesus said. All right, let's draw our second timeline here. Second timeline below the first one. You draw your line across the page, matching up with the one above it. And on the far left side, where you had the explosion on the top line, now below it, you're going to draw a circle right at the beginning, representing the earth, and write and draw the two stick figures right on top of that circle, either overlapping it or on the very top side of the circle, whatever you want. It's Adam and Eve on the earth. And label that as 6,000 years ago. Then you're going to go about a third of the way to the right, and make a little picture of a box or something. That's going to be the ark. That's about four and a half, roughly, we'll just round it off, 4,400, 4,500, whatever years ago from now, that was when the flood was, the ark and Noah. Then just to the right of that little box ark, whatever you scribbled there, really close to that, you're going to write or draw another stick figure, a single stick figure. That's going to be Abraham. He was about 4,000 years ago. So you got the box four and a half thousand years ago, right next to that, a stick figure, Abraham, about 4,000 years ago. And that's about in the middle of your timeline here. Now you go all the way to the right end of that timeline and you draw a cross. That's when Christ appeared. He was born, lived, he was crucified and rose again, roughly 2,000 years ago from our time. So you got your timeline. What does this depict? Well, it depicts on the far left, the beginning of everything, the earth was created on day one, Adam and Eve were created on day six in the same week. The first, the very first week from the beginning of God's creation, earth day one, Adam and Eve day six, roughly 6,000 years ago. Fast forward a little bit, about four and a half thousand years ago, you got the flood, Abraham about 2,000 years uh, before Christ. And then you have Christ appearing about 2,000 years ago from us. That places Adam and Eve at 0.00042% away from the beginning. Just like Jesus said, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, Mark 10.6. Really interesting. What are you going to do with that? If you think the universe and earth are billions of years old and mankind's been around 200,000 years, Adam and Eve were not then created from the beginning of creation. So was Jesus wrong? Is that part of scripture wrong? And if that part's wrong, how do you know what else might be wrong? And whatever you choose to believe is right, how do you know that's right? If you're admitting this one portion is wrong because you don't understand it or don't like it, it doesn't make the secular scientists happy, so you're going to change your view of scripture to make them happy. Rather than saying, what does it teach? What is it actually saying? And trusting what it says. And and when we get to the science stuff, which is really cool, I think you're going to be relieved. Like, wow, I don't have to reject science and believe this timeline. That's fascinating. I never heard this stuff. We'll be getting to that, and it's just awesome. Let me share one other reason why it's got to be a regular six-day creation. 
If God used the Big Bang, and God is all-powerful, if he had wanted to do that, he certainly could. He could have used the Big Bang or some other scenario involving millions and billions of years. But if he did, now we got problems in Genesis, specifically with the order of events. If the Big Bang and millions and billions of years is true, Genesis 1 got it wrong. I'm just going to give you a few examples. According to the Big Bang and its associated millions and billions of years, the sun evolved first. And then the earth perhaps 20 million years later. So you have the nebular hypothesis. So these these gases are swirling around and they form the sun. And the gases continue to swirl and form all of our planets in our solar system. But the sun formed first, millions of years later the earth. Sun first, earth later. But the Bible says that God created the earth first on day one. And he didn't create the sun until later on day four. We covered that a little bit in the last podcast of the order of the sun appearing on day four. But Genesis is wrong if the Big Bang is true. Side note, uh, the days of Genesis, again, we covered this last time, but if you missed it, they say the days of Genesis could not be regular days because we didn't even have the sun until day four meaning the first three days were not normal solar days as we know it because the sun didn't even exist. And again, I mentioned that's a very common objection. And I'll just very briefly repeat that. We don't measure our days by whether or not we see the sun. We measure our days by the rotation of the earth. All you need is a rotating earth and a source of light. We had that from day one. God creates the earth on day one, and he also said, let there be light, and there was light. God created a source of light, and you had an earth spinning. You could have day one, day two, and day three, and then day four, God actually creates the sun, and then going forward, we use the sun as a source of light as we use today. I also mentioned when God creates a new heavens and new earth after Christ returns, we're not going to have the sun anymore. Why not? Because it says that God himself will provide the light most likely just like he did in the original creation account. So you can still have regular days right from the get-go, even though the sun wasn't created until day four. All right, another example of where the order in Genesis is wrong if the Big Bang in billions of years is true. Big Bang in billions of years tells us that the earth initially cooled down from a molten mass into hard land surfaces, you know, 4.6 billion years ago. Then millions of years later, Water period being brought by comets and asteroids and ice, and it would hit pelt the earth and then melt slowly, building the earth's oceans over millions of years. So land first, oceans millions of years later. But Genesis teaches that the earth was initially covered with water on day one, completely covered. And the dry land didn't appear until later on day three. The order is just the opposite. Quick side note, part of another talk that I give, um, we've always been taught the earth cooled from molten state, you know, in, in the solid, you know, land surfaces. And then again, comets brought ice and all that melted, formed the oceans millions of years later. Um, more recent studies in science tell us that, oh, it looks like water's been around like from the beginning of the earth. Well, who would have thunk that? Well, if you'd read scripture, you would believe that because that's what the Bible says and science is catching up. They think that water has been around here from the very beginning. That's part of another talk. I got to keep going. Um, the concept of billions of years and Big Bang you know, would lead to us having fish first and then later land plants. But Genesis says that God created the land plants first on day three. The fish were created later on day five. The order is just the opposite. Lastly, 
Billions of years tells us that reptiles appeared first, and millions of years later, birds appeared. In fact, they, they, the common belief today, secular scientists allege that um, birds evolved from dinosaurs because they can't figure out what birds came from other than, well, maybe some kind of a dinosaur. So they believe that dinosaurs evolved into birds. They literally believe the cute, fascinating hummingbirds we have today are dinosaurs. They evolved from dinosaurs or just a different form. It's gone further along. That's a whole nother talk. <laughs> um, but Genesis says that God created the birds first on day five. The next day, day six, he created the reptiles. So the order is wrong. And there's a whole list of all these things that are wrong with Genesis if God used the Big Bang in millions and billions of years. Again, these are just a few examples of contradictory order of events that exist when we unnecessarily attempt to harmonize scripture with standard secular models that involve millions and billions of years. I am going to wrap up this podcast for now. we got a few other things to cover before we jump into the science. It's going to be awesome. So thanks for joining me again. Please subscribe, tell your friends about it. And next time will be creation in six days. I think we're on part nine by then. We will finish up what scripture has to say and jump into the science stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for joining me. I will see you soon. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Starting Point Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help us reach more and more people with these important and inspiring messages. To learn more about myself, Jay Siegert, and The Starting Point Project, please visit us at thestartingpointproject.com. We'll catch you next time.